Did you hear what Saddam Hussein and Little Miss Muffet have in common? They both have Kurds in their way. You say, what has that got to do with the message? Nothing. But you needed to smile. My goodness. You would think it was raining inside here this morning. There are some times when words just aren't enough. The couple in my mind this morning had always wanted a boy. They had two beautiful daughters. But they'd always just wanted one more. And prayed it might be a boy. But they were in their early 40s and their daughters were teenagers by that time. And so it was pretty unlikely. And then one day, the missus had an announcement for the mister. And it was that surprise announcement that they were going to have a belated blessing. And another baby was on the way in their early 40s. Now some people would have found that quite alarming. And at first it was shocking to these two, but they decided that this might be the boy that they had always wanted and prayed for. And so they counted down the months, and she got larger and larger. And uh, we waited, and finally came that day in April, 17 years ago. In fact, it was on my birthday that she went into labor. And sure enough, it was a boy. But as the boy was born, the umbilical cord wrapped around his neck, and he died. Their prayers, their dreams, their joys were all dashed. In an incident in the delivery room that probably shouldn't have happened... And I can remember like it was two weeks ago, standing with that couple, our arms around each other in front of a little casket. And we wept. Because sometimes words just aren't enough. It reminds me of a bumper sticker that I saw one time. And on the bumper sticker, it said, God is, and then the letters, N-O-W-H-E-R-E. God is nowhere. But on the second part of the bumper sticker, the letters were slightly rearranged with a space in between the W and the H, so that it read, God is now here. As we stood beside that casket on that spring afternoon 17 years ago, God was there. 
And God is here this morning. The God we worship is here. Lo, I am with you always, said Jesus, even to the end of the age. Someone has said that Matthew 28.20 is absolute proof that God does not go with those who fly. That those who get into airplanes are on their own because Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always. However, the word lo simply is a word meaning, I have this announcement to give to you. Behold, here is something that you need to grasp and get a hold of. I am with you. And he really says it, I myself, me, I am with you all the days, forever. And he said those words just before he went back to heaven to be at the right hand of God the Father. There are times when you and I ask the question out of our feelings of the moment, where is God? Where is God? But inevitably, faith eventually responds by rearranging the letters in our lives to say, God is now here. God is everywhere present. All of him, always. God is present everywhere. Think about that. I can say this morning that I am in this room. But more precisely, I'm right here. I'm not back there. And you are in this room, but you are there in that chair, not up here. But when we say God is everywhere present, it means that God is everywhere. All at the same instant. Constantly. Always. We cannot go where God is not. Look back at Psalm 139 with me, which was read earlier in the service. And notice how David puts this. He asks the rhetorical question, Where can I go from thy spirit? Where can I flee from thy presence? He says, If I ascend to heaven, if I go up as far as I can go, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, the realm of the dead, which is down in Hebrew thought, you're there. If I take the wings of the dawn, boy, it's been a while since we've seen the wings of the dawn around Minnesota, isn't it? But what a beautiful day it is when that sun begins to get close to the horizon and those Beautiful wings of the dawn preceded on the horizon. David said, if I can go in that direction, east, he says, you're there. If I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, now remember where he's writing from, Palestine, and the sea he's talking about is the Mediterranean, and that's to the west. If I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, he says, even there... Thy hand will lead me, thy right hand will lay hold of me. 
And he says, I cannot even go into the darkness and pull it around myself and hide because you are there too and you see me. Dr. William Evans was a great Presbyterian preacher. For a while he taught at Moody Bible Institute and then was a dean at the Bible Institute of Los Angeles. Later in his life, he was a leader of Bible conferences all across the United States. Some of you who are older might remember him. He died in 1950, when he was 80 years of age. But he left behind some writings, including one called The Great Doctrines of the Bible. In there, Dr. Evans says this, God is everywhere, his circumference nowhere. What is a circumference? Well, that's the edge of the circle. It's the boundary. It's the limit of the circle. He says God's circumference is nowhere. You think about that for a moment. You, You draw a circle as big as you want to. God is in that circle. So you draw it even bigger than that. Let's suppose you could even draw it around the whole universe. You take a magic marker, you might need two of them, and just begin marking out the whole universe till you've got a circumference around it, you still haven't captured God. Because God is not only in his universe that he has created, but he is beyond it. So he says, God is everywhere. His circumference is nowhere. But he says, this presence is a spiritual, not a material presence. Yet it is a real presence. We speak of God as being both eminent, I-M-M-A-N-E-N-T, and transcendent. When we say that God is eminent, what that means is that God is present everywhere throughout his creation. That's not pantheism, which is the heart and soul of Hinduism and of New Age philosophy. It is not that, for that denies the personality of God. And it claims that God is everything and everything is God. That is not what the Bible teaches. But the Bible does teach that the Creator God is present throughout His creation. He is eminent, but also he is transcendent, which means that he is distinct from his creation. He is not the creation itself, though he is present throughout it. He is distinct from it. God is present everywhere. And yet God is not present everywhere in exactly the same sense. For example, God does not indwell... Satan. God does not indwell lost people who are not his children. Furthermore, the Bible indicates that there is a particular dwelling place of God so that it can be said that he is enthroned in the heavens or as Solomon prayed in 1 Kings 8, calling heaven God's dwelling place. 
And so God is everywhere present, but not always in exactly the same sense. For God dwells in heaven in a particular sense, a special sense. God is present everywhere, and all of him is. As triune God, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he is present everywhere. We need to dismiss any notion from our minds that the Father and the Son are in heaven, and the Holy Spirit is God on the earth. I say dismiss that idea from our minds because God cannot be thus divided as though each person of the Trinity were independent of the others in some kind of a separate existence. Where God the Father is, God the Son and God the Spirit also must be. Louis Berry Schaefer in his theology writes, The Trinity is composed of three united persons without separate existence, so completely united as to form one God. The divine nature subsists in three distinctions, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as triune God, he's everywhere. As triune God, he is resident in every true child of his. We'll just turn to one text to see that. It's some words of Jesus in John, the 14th chapter. You recall this is the discourse that Jesus gave around the occasion of the Last Supper. In John 14 and verse 16, he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, another comforter, a paraclete, one who will be called alongside of you to help you. And when he says another, he doesn't mean someone who's distinct and different from me. Actually, he says another who is just like me. That's what he says. That he may be with you forever. Now, who is that? Tell me. That's right. It says in verse 17. The Spirit. But then look down to verse 23 in this same chapter. Jesus goes on to say, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we, who's we? The Father and Jesus. He says, we will come to him and make our abode with him. So you put those verses together and you see that the Holy Spirit comes to indwell us, to be our helper, our paraclete, but also the Father and the Son indwell us. We are the home of God in a special sense. God is everywhere present in the world. But just as the heavens are the dwelling place of God, so is your body if you're a child of His. Think about that. And not only are we individually the abode of God, but the New Testament teaches that when we gather together like this into a congregation of the Lord's people, He he dwells in us corporately together. 
When we come together, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit reside in us as a local church. We need to underscore in our hearts the importance of the local assembly of believers in the mind of God. On this earth, there is nothing more precious to Him than the local churches. The assemblies of believers all over the world that come together as individual believers, but to unite as a single body in which God dwells. I'm not going to take the time to look up the text, but... Uh, you will recall in Revelation chapter 1 that the Lord Jesus appears on the Isle of Patmos in a vision to the Apostle John. And as he appears, he is in the midst of seven golden what? Lampstands or candlesticks. And those seven candlesticks represent what? The seven churches of Asia Minor. Notice not the church universal, but local churches. And the cities are named in chapters 2 and 3. What is that indicating to us, this vision of Jesus, that he is in the churches? And that's why he says, as he does in those letters, I know you. I know what's happening in your midst. Because he's here. He knows exactly what the condition of Grace Church Roosevelt is. Because he's here. He knows our candlestick, our witness, our testimony. But likewise, God the Father is said to dwell in us, according to 2 Corinthians 6, verses 16 and 17. I will dwell in them, God says. And we know from 1 Corinthians 3, 16, that the Holy Spirit dwells in us as a church. And so the triune God is everywhere present throughout his universe. But he is especially, in a particular, wonderful sense, present and residing in your body and in us as a corporate group. What does all of this mean to you and me when we think about the fact that the God we worship is here? (laughs) How that ought to impact the very way that we conduct ourselves in a service. How it ought to change the way that I come to worship, the attitude of my heart, my participation in the service, if I recognize that God is here. And he's listening to the words that I sing. And he sees the expression on my face. God is here. God's sure presence means his participation in every circumstance of life. There's nothing that happens by accident. Everything is by design and signed by providence. James Russell Lowell wrote of this idea when he penned these words that we sometimes hear quoted. Truth forever on the scaffold, 
wrong forever on the throne. It does seem that way in the world, doesn't it? Truth is on the cross, and wrong is on the throne. But he goes on to say, and yet that scaffold sways the future. And behind the dim unknown standeth God within the shadow, keeping watch above his own. I love those words. In the shadow of our lives, even when it seems like wrong is reigning as the king of our circumstances at the moment, and Jesus is still on the cross, and all that is right is crucified with him, even in those moments, in the shadows behind it all, is God. Keeping watch upon his own, he's there. In all of the circumstances of life, A number in our church have recently lost their jobs. And uh, some that I know, have, know of have come very close to losing the business that they've been involved in in years. That does something to shatter a person. To lose your job. It's bad enough when it's because of finances and corporate cutbacks or whatever. It's even worse when there's no real reason, justifiable reason. Or when you have put everything you have and you are into a business to try to make it go, only to see it sputter and begin to spiral like an airplane plunging to the ground. It's out of fuel. That does something to a person. Sometimes men and women who go through experiences like this feel ashamed. What's wrong with them? Why didn't it go? Why wasn't I the one who was kept? I've worked hard for that company. And yet there is never a thing to be ashamed of in that kind of a situation. We need to understand that in all of the circumstances of, of our lives, God is shepherding us onward. I've had at least one person say very honestly to me that he finds it hard to accept help from others because he's always been himself the one who's been able to help. He's been the one who's in control, as it were and able to reach out, and now he's in a position where he needs to receive from others, and he finds uh, a certain guilt in that, a, a difficulty. Uh, it's humiliating. And yet even that is God's hand. There is no shame, there is no guilt in accepting help from others when we need it. That's what uh, we're here for, is to help others. All of us. When someone reaches out to help us, we need to see that as the hand, as the angel of God, our shepherd. Ann Murphy 
was married to her husband, Will, in the early part of this century. And together they operated a very successful pottery business in Ohio. They used their wealth and their influence to serve the Lord in the church. Anne herself was a very talented singer and a speaker, was active in ministry and used quite broadly in those days. But in 1929, I don't have to tell some of you what 1929 was all about. That was the year of the Great Depression. And the Murphys were among those who lost everything. Everything. Materially. And then, it was not long before Will died. And Anne was left alone. She went to live with some relatives in Burbank, California. And shortly before her death in 1942, she was visited by a friend who reported to others that she was in joy and in peace, trusting in the Lord. And you say, why do you talk about her? Well, because she wrote a hymn that from my childhood has been one of my favorites. It's not in our hymnal. But we used to sing it often in our country church. The first verse that Ann Murphy wrote goes like this. There's a peace in my heart that the world never gave. A peace it cannot take away. Though the trials of life may surround like a cloud, I have a peace that has come there to stay. Some of you know the chorus. Constantly abiding, Jesus is mine. Constantly abiding, rapture divine. He never leaves me lonely. Whispers, oh, so kind, I will never leave thee. Jesus is mine. What great words! What great words! She wrote out of her own experience of the constantly abiding presence of Christ. And he is that in your life too. Not only does God's sure presence mean his participation in every circumstance, but it also means his preservation until we arrive home. For God, you see, dwells in us, and his spirit especially, is called the seal of God that is upon us. He is called the guarantee of our redemption. I am convinced personally that there is a visible seal that is upon the child of God that though we cannot see the Spirit's in the heavenly realms, are able to see it. So that immediately by looking at you or looking at me, they see some sort of a seal, an indication that we belong to God. The fact that he dwells in us, he resides in us, he said, I will never leave you or forsake you, means that we are preserved 
until that day that we will stand complete in his presence in heaven. His sure presence also means God's protection from our enemies. Paul knew about this, didn't he, in Corinth? Things rather turned sour there in Acts chapter 18. So much so that Paul himself, the great apostle, who by this time had already been stoned and probably who had died and resuscitated, brought back to life, he who had been beaten in Philippi and imprisoned, things were going so bad in Corinth that he was afraid. But Jesus appeared to him one night and said, Paul, don't be afraid. I have many people in this city. It is a great thing to know you don't have to be afraid. Not that we can be foolish and presumptuous upon God, but the fact is that when we are walking in the will of God, in obedience to His will as much as we know it, we are protected by God for His divine purposes in the world. And there is nothing and no one who can touch us. Nothing. His presence means His sure protection of our lives. A true story is told by a missionary wife by the name of Mrs. Dan Crawford of a nine-year-old African girl who, because of her involvement in a Christian school kind of setting in their area, became a believer in Jesus. Her parents were deeply involved in their animism, their paganism, and they were opposed to her faith. And so they took her out of the school, but she would go back to the school, and they would beat her. And uh, she kept going back to the people who told her of Christ and who loved her. Just nine years of age now. And finally the mother in desperation, trying to break this Jesus belief in the girl, took her out into the jungle one night and tied her to a tree, believing that the jungle animals would so frighten her during the night that she would turn away from this faith in Jesus and return to her pagan ideas. The next morning, a young man who was a Christian happened to come by that tree, that path, and found this little girl still tied there. And he testified that there were lion tracks all around that tree up to five yards from it, 15 feet, no closer. The little girl said that she had seen the lions during the night. But she had learned in her school the story of Daniel in the lion's den. And she prayed that God would protect her. Who knows the power of faith in a nine-year-old little girl. And that night the lions were all around her but did not touch her. God is here. And his presence means that you and I are protected from our enemies. 
God's presence also means that there should be purity in my lifestyle. Thou, God, seest me. It's interesting that when Paul wrote to the Philippians in the fourth chapter, he gets to the point finally of rebuking the two women in the church who were kind of at one another. And he commands them to live at peace with one another. Then he addresses the whole church and he says, Now let your forbearance be known to all men. And then he says, The Lord is near. What was he saying? He's saying, You as a church need to clean up your act because the Lord is near. The Lord is there watching. He sees. Boy, if I believe that, it's going to make a difference where I go and what I do. His sure presence means his power in our lives for the mission he's given us. And here I return to our text in Matthew twenty-eight twenty, For you know that that text where he said, Lo, I am with you, comes right after he says, Make disciples. As you're going, make disciples by baptizing them and teaching them all things. That's our job, wherever we are, to make disciples. To seek to win people to Christ. And not only that, to then enable them to walk with Him. To teach them what they need to know. That they might walk with Him and be a part of the body, the church, and the world. And lo, He says, I'm with you always. Even to the end of the world. He said, all power is given to me. I am with you. When you and I feel like we just can't go on. When we feel afraid to witness. When we wonder how we're going to be able to follow through with the commitments that we've made. He says, all power is mine. I am with you. We can trust him. Reverend Thomas Chalmers was a Scottish pastor and a university professor as well, even before his conversion at the age of 31. After he was converted, he continued on as a pastor and as a professor at the University of St. Andrews and the University of Edinburgh later. He was one of the most popular preachers of his era, the first part of the 1800s. He was a man who not only came to know Jesus Christ and had a great ability to preach, but he was a man who knew that his mission in the world was to reach people who were in need. He not only helped to organize the Free Church of Scotland, but he labored among poor people. And in the parishes where he ministered, he organized charitable work to reach those who were in need. He wrote these words that are helpful to all of us. When I walk by the wayside, He is along with me. When I enter into company amid all my forgetfulness of Him, He never forgets me. In the silent watches of the night, when my eyelids are closed and my spirit has sunk into unconsciousness, the observant eye of Him who never slumbers is upon me. I cannot flee from his presence. Go where I will, he leads me and watches me and cares for me. 
Are you living in the light of that presence, his presence? The story is told of an ocean liner in World War II who left a British port headed for the United States. Of course, it was very dangerous because of all of the German submarines. And so they were given strict orders not to have any voice communication with other ships that might give away their position. If in an emergency they had to, they could use the wireless. Well, this ocean liner got out into the Atlantic Ocean a ways, and one day, sure enough, they saw on the horizon an enemy ship. And immediately the captain sent a wireless message that said, Enemy cruiser sighted, what shall I do? And immediately a reply came back to him that said, Keep straight on, I am standing by. He looked at the horizon and saw one ship. But he did exactly what he was told. He stayed on course until finally he reached port. And just after that ship reached port, there was a British warship that also slipped in the same harbor. You see, that ship had been trailing the other ship out of sight there. And the message was, keep on course. I am standing by. You may wonder today if you can keep on course. Hey, the message is, keep on course. God says, I'm standing by. The God we worship is here. Let that sink deep into your heart and determine as you go away from here today, that you will not forget it. And that will impact the plans you make, the lifestyle you have, the people you see, what you do, that it will soak into every area of your life and fill you. He's here. Let's pray. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed as we come to the end of the service. This truth that God is here, that he's with you, that he will always, always be with you. How does that strike you today? Let it calm your fears and bring peace. Let it stir you to holiness. Let it fill you with confidence and courage. Thank you, Father. For the great God that you are, we desire to know you. And what a wonderful truth this is to know that you are here and always with us. Amen.